0: Welcome to the official podcast of FourTurnia.com. We have the power. I'm your host, AJ, a.k.a. Voodoo Magic, a.k.a. Zor. And sitting hundreds of miles away from me is my right-hand man-at-arms, Colt, a.k.a. Red Pyramid, a.k.a. Dad-at-arms. How are you doing today, Colt? I'm doing good, AJ. Great. So today's episode is titled... Poisoned Ivy. A play on Batman lore, of course, but mm-hmm. Ivy, because Ivy leaves seem to be growing out of Moss Man's body, who he and Evil Lynn, we plan to give our Masterverse action figure thoughts on today. And poisoned for our in-depth analysis today of Masters of the Universe Revelation episode two, titled poisoned chalice. I always want to say the poison chalice, but the title is actually poisoned chalice. And, um, I actually think I'll be mentioning Batman two in the podcast. So it's going to tie together very nicely. Nice. But Cole, I wanted to start out today before anything else with mentioning to you that, I broke down and bought a new Eternia Skeletor. Um, If you remember, my original plan was just to buy Revelation Masterverse figures. That's right. And I was going to stay away from the other lines, including new Eternia, no matter how hard I was tempted. But after our last podcast, where we went over... Uh, mass verse wave one he-man and skeletor and my disappointment grew with how unhappy i guess i was or not completely happy with skeletor or, nor did i want to display him combined with how great the classic skeletor head looks on this figure mm-hmm. i I went ahead and bought this, and I'm going to be displaying it with my Revelation figures as my Skeletor Revelation figure. Yeah, yeah I'm not. I'm not interested in the Viking guy with the uh, the bone beard, with the, with the helmet, and
1: yeah, I, I kind of dig. I kind of dig the beard.
0: <laughs> it is cool, but I just can't reconcile it with you know my Revelation figures over there. <laughs> you know. So what?
1: What? Yeah. So how I do it, how I have it displayed, is I use the alternate head from New Eternia, and I just popped it on my Revelation figure. And then, and it it looks pretty decent. I'd grab it, but it's behind me on the shelf, and I don't want to knock things around as I'm standing up. But then no. I have the the New Eternia, the Barbarian Skeletor displayed as he
0: is in the box. Let's see. Maybe people can see the head. Yeah. So that is a fantastic head sculpt. Yeah yeah so i broke down and uh this is how it starts isn't it Cole? Mm-hmm. right it i is. have one new attorney figure and next thing you know oh that new um new attorney a beast man is coming
1: oh out. he yeah that's the next one i'm excited for thankfully yeah. i wasn't too thrilled about the latest wave the one with shira and hordak and yeah uh Zodak. not not too excited about any of those um
0: so yeah, I me mean neither. Can Ex- easy. Except I'm really digging the Catra f- figure. I, I'm I've never been a big fan of the character itself. Yeah. But I like I just like how it looks. I like how it can, you could lower the um the visor. The visor the mask or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, so I'll have to do my best to uh try try my best to stay away from plunging some more money on that one but uh you know i'm i'm weak what can i say yeah so, we are so if you remember on our last podcast we suggested about possibly reading some comments mm-hmm. um that were posted on the current podcast which was podcast episode two and some people did post some comments so i want to honor our word and read a few. So the first comments we got, uh, was from Maria and, um, Oh, we know Maria. Okay. Yeah, we know Maria. And she said, she's a, good, she's a good friend. Yeah. She's really sweet. And, uh, she participated, um, in the group. She hasn't been there in a, uh, in a little while, but, um, But yeah no she's she's really uh sweet so she said um i love the masterverse line packaging i've kept all my boxes neatly folded so she folds them up but just hangs on to them Mm -hmm. you know and and that's probably a um a testament to the artwork of uh amon odonahue you know yep yep um she says i've kept all my boxes neatly folded and now my unpopular opinion. This line's proportions are my favorite so far. And I love Smiley He-Man. I had <laughs> never collected Motu before. Oh, listen to that. I never collected Motu before, but this line made me jump right in. So, that and, and that makes me happy for, for for two reasons, right? I mean, first that, you know, we're... Masters of the universe revelation is making, uh, new collectors, you know, yeah. it's not, it's not just for the old fans or the old collectors. Now,
1: yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, to clarify that. Cause I know that she is a fan of the original Filmation cartoon yeah. and she grew up on that. And, but yeah, like she said, this is the first, these are the first toys she's ever collected.
0: Yeah, I almost said new fan and I went right to collectors, you know, it's not just for mm-hmm. Masterverse; is not just for the, the, the old collectors, mm-hmm. um, to rekindle that, but to, to, um, you know, start the flame with new ones and that, that always makes me excited, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know what, actually I have something. I also love that she loves, uh, smiley He-Man. Let me see if I can put up a smile. There we go. Look at that. That's a good smile. That's For anyone watching YouTube, I put on a uh, smiling He-Man from Masters of the Universe Revelation. And
1: that's a great smile. It is. And I like how, uh, so in the art book that came out, I like how when they're talking about He-Man, how they say that as soon as they keyed in on his smile, they knew they'd found the look that they wanted for He-Man. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a testament to the character. I mean, he's the kind, he's a, you know, he's a hero. He's, he's easily comparable to Superman. And Superman is the type of hero that is one who engenders hope in people. Right. Right. And I think that's important to He-Man's character is that he's happy. He's, he makes other people happy and he knows how to boost
0: those around him. Yeah, so i like that she keys in on that definitely okay so our next comment is from eugenius more flam or flam sorry guys if i'm butchering these names um it's he, uh eugenius says yay i love you guys and thank you for doing the podcast really enjoyed the channel i actually did um I actually did the 10 second to a better figure on Evil Lynn, which was insane that I didn't think of it myself, but it looks great. Thank you. Don't know if I'm <laughs> going to paint Skeletor's eyes, but I might give it a try this summer. But thank you for you guys doing the channel and the content. So, um, what Eugenius, and again, I apologize if I'm butchering this name, um, is saying. Uh, or it's referring to is there's a couple, um, 10 seconds to a better figure, um, videos featuring quick ways to improve evil and, uh, God. And if you haven't watched that, be sure to check it out. If you're just uh, familiar with our podcast, but, um, I'd love that, uh, Eugenius, uh, you know, loves what we're doing here and loves the content. So, yeah, very cool. Definitely. All right, uh, Colt, are you ready to continue our retroactive look at the Masterverse Revelation figures? Yeah. All right. So why don't we start with Mossman? Actually, I have a graphic set up like last time for our YouTube uh, viewers. Cool. So, um, what we're posting on YouTube is just a, um, a picture of Mossman in some of the scenes in Masters of the Universe Revelation, and a picture of the Masterverse, Masters of the Universe Revelation Mossman figure. So, general thoughts, Colt, do you want to go first regarding how you feel about Mossman?
1: Man? yeah. So this was one that I probably spent, I didn't, I didn't immediately buy this one. It was quite a while after the show had aired and even after part two, had aired before I finally picked this figure up. Um, Really? Yeah. I Mossman has never really been one of my favorite characters. Um, And it, it was, you know, kind of like what we were talking about earlier where you're trying to decide when a new toy line comes out with how much money you want to sink into it. Right. It's like, do I need every character? Do I need the main characters? And so that's kind of what held me off on Mossman. I was like, well, he's not a favorite character. I don't necessarily need him. So he's a pass for me, you know, but then I eventually just kept seeing him on the shelf and just kept looking at him in the box and stuff. And before I finally pulled the trigger on it. And I will say that I think he has the most unique design, especially out of wave one. Uh, Maybe out of all the Revelation figures that have been released so far, you know, his loincloth is different, his buck is different, it's not just the standard human buck with different paint apps, like he's got, you know, plant molded onto him and stuff, and he, you know, he's got unique feet, those tree trunk feet are different, the clawed hands that look like trunks, you know, that look like branches and stuff are different than any of the other figures. He's a good-looking figure. I think my only the only thing I don't like about him is with his uh vine arm. It really makes him want to tip over. It's hard to stand him up with this thing attached. And so I don't, you know, he's not necessarily my favorite figure in this line kind of because of that. But overall,
0: I don't hate him. So I was excited about Moss Man and I, I bought him with Wave 1. Um you bring up an interesting point. And you know, it's going to be good because um I'm going to have to remember this that uh, my first question will be Colt. Do you own this figure? Because <laughs> unlike uh myself and any every every way you collect it, whatever works for you is the right way to do it, but unlike uh myself who's collecting every revelation figure, there are some, you're, you're basically picking and choosing through the line of the ones you like and the ones you want to collect and not necessarily buying everyone just because it says revelation on the box. So I'll have to remember that that's my first, um, should be my first question with any of these figures. Um, but secondly, you brought up a interesting point. It is interesting that Mossman um came out in wave one that mm. it's typically not a top tier wave one figure yeah uh, when it comes to masters of the universe um you're usually getting Mossman man very deep in the line um because it's not really sought out it's not one of the the big names actually i don't even think i don't collect origins but i don't even think moss man has come out for origins yet. yeah yeah there's no moss man for origins and i don't think there even has been one announced yet either nope. right no okay so it is interesting that you know you you held back and maybe a lot of people did because there's just not a lot of love for moss man that there is for the traditional ones right merman right skeletor he-man beast man evil lynn Tila Sorceress, you know, man in arms, the big, the big names, the heavy hitters. Um, so yeah, come to think of it, it was an interesting choice. Um, because with season one, you, you sure, you certainly had a big litter still to pick from. Um, but, um, so I picked up Mossman, uh, with wave one, um, I enjoy the window, you know, box packaging, just the same with the, uh, the blue hieroglyphics. And, uh, I love Eamon, Amon, excuse me, O'Donoghue's art on the side there. You know, I love the white, uh, eyeballs. You see that? I do like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. And you know what? I think, let me bring that picture back up before I continue regarding his eyeballs. Yeah, there's no pupils here. But no. I do yeah, he's I, got. I do believe when Skeletor is slammed by Moss Man in episode one before he's burned to death. I believe he had pupils then. I wonder oh, if that's I that. yeah, I wonder if that had something to do with um going to Paternia. Maybe because uh, these are Paternian shots, that's true. Yeah. I'm pretty I'd, sure yeah, I don't remember if he does have pupils. I'll have to go back and watch. All right. Let's let's see if I can search this really quick. I wasn't prepared for this. Let's see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, one thing that I will say that I am, you know, while you're searching, uh one thing that I am kind of actually pretty disappointed in is that there's no flocking on this figure like the traditional figure had. Oh, no. You're upset with that? Not upset, but I. it would have been cool. You know, I understand why they didn't. I get the look they're going for. But I've seen there's been a few people who have done customs where they add flocked features, and it looks really cool.
0: But then, you know, it's a $20 figure. All right, Cole, I think I got this to work. So for anyone watching YouTube, I found an image. I can't expand it any further. But it does have a shot of Mossman clearly pinning Skeletor to, what was it? Oh, to the orb um, triangle, the um, the orb. Holder, yeah, the right? pyramid. The pyramid. The pyramid. And or whatever it is. He definitely has two little pupils there. It looks, are
1: those, and, it's hard to tell Are those pupils or are they his, his bushy plant eyebrows kind of. Uh, hanging over his eyeballs? Wow. I can't tell it. It, it kind of looks like both from the more I look I mean, at it. I keep going
0: back and forth on it. Yeah. And maybe it was done that way on purpose. Maybe it is part of his um, leafy eyebrows. And um, what I'm thinking, because
1: it seems wow. odd that he wouldn't have them when we see him later, you know, yeah. cause he is in Preternia, but even with Adam, like Adam still looks the same as he did.
0: Yeah. While he's in Preternia. So Cole, you were talking about flocked. Um, I know yeah. all the the previous, uh, Moss mans were flocked. And I guess that's one of the things that you long for on your, your Moss man to have that little furry coating. Sure. Sure. Um, I don't miss it. I actually prefer it unflocked because, to be honest with you, there would be so many details that we would just miss. I mean, this is not just a standard green figure, but um, you see all these like branches and vines and leaves that look like ivy leaves. This is mm-hmm. what we were uh, referring to our title: roots. His his belt looks wooden, maybe, yeah, and. Yeah.
1: Got that he's grassy just, looking loincloth.
0: Yeah, he's just a culmination of different plants. And I think we'd miss all this great detail if he was flocked. I mean, sure he'd be I nice agree. and fuzzy, but um I don't know. I um uh, I actually prefer it this way. Um, you know, back on. I want to say one thing with the artwork with uh Eamon O'Donohue is um it's kind of cool because in this artwork um, in the background, you can see Skeletor and beast man, like in the swamp kind of creeping around back there. Yeah. Kind of creeping around back there. And I wonder what they're doing, but um, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, but um, I don't know. I, I, I really like this character, you know, um, and looking at this character, you know, the, The vintage legacy um, figure um, was an entire reuse of the Beastman figure, right? Yeah. Um, The only differences was the paint, um, the flocking, and... um, And the smell. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, and the pine (laughs) smell. (laughs) And do you know what? I've heard that criticism too. You know, the flocking I could almost get... But I I did read some comments that's like you know if it doesn't smell I'm not buying it, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like you know do I really want a a sh- uh, figure that's gonna make my whole room smell like a pine smelling car air freshener? No, right? no. I
1: I remember the uh, the classics figures he smelled like pine, and then also the Stinkor figure smelled. Had that patchouli smell to it, right? Oh yeah. And I remember yeah. them being on my shelf and just that smell intermingled and it wasn't a pleasant smell. <laughs> yeah. And so I I'm perfectly okay with this figure and Stinkor who comes later not having a scent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh that's I, I'm in total agreement with you. Uh, I do want to say though that even this is not a reuse of Beastman, which I'm happy about. It, it yeah, does it does look look like that they're still incorporating Beastman's face in a way. It right? kind of looks more like the classic Beastman face in in his design. Yeah, he's he still got the beard,
1: and uh, but it's still, it still it it reminds me more of the vintage face than it does the revelation face, yeah of Beastman. You know, and but obviously with, he's a much leaner character, you know, and whereas Beastman is a a brute, hulking, yeah. brutish character. So it's but, cool. I like I like the differentiation between the two.
0: Yeah, it's nice that it still harkens back to it, even though it's not mm-hmm. uh, a reuse of Beastman. And be honest with you, I wouldn't want it to be, you know, not in Masterverse. Yeah. I agree. So um, I think it's a wild design, and um, I'm fine with it not having a club um it has six pairs of hands which is crazy um there are some more like angry hands than relaxed hands and then grabbing hands except i don't think he comes with anything he can grab
1: you know yeah. Uh, yeah. unless he, the only accessory he, he has is that that vine attachment
0: that counts yeah. as a hand now the vine attachment is cool um i did plug one in but you're right it's going to weigh the the figure down. And I guess if you put a Skeletor on the ground, right. Or pin the it, Skeletor have him, have him to, pin down with it. Yeah. Yeah. Or a pin him to to something with it. Um I think that would work, but um
1: I don't know. I, I think with this, like with the vine, the only thing I can get it to do is lean forward to keep him from tipping over. You know? Yeah. I, I kind of wish that the joints were a little bit, stiffer so that you could get him with his arm stretched out and those vines extending straight outward horizontally. I think that would be a, a cool look for it. But as it is, you know, he just,
0: he just kind of falls over. <laughs> or if the, the vines were lighter, right? Yeah. yeah so maybe so ho- dense and- maybe hollow plastic or something like that. Um, versus yeah. what it shows. Ooh, maybe some wire articulation or something. Yeah. Yeah, that would be awesome. But you know what? I I really do love the look of this figure and for some reason to me I think the the craftsmanship of it, the design, the the sculpting Man, it deserves to be up there. I can't criticize anyone if they say this is the best figure in the line. I really can't. It's it's very well done. I think it just comes down to does it appeal to you? you yeah. Know, it's it's a cross between maybe uh you know, it's not your typical moss man, right? It's a cross between um a sasquatch and moss. Yeah, man. yeah, that's a good
1: call. It, it kind of looks like a Sasquatch. Yeah, which is cool. You can get him in that classic Sasquatch pose from the the famous video where he's walking, swinging his arms.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, unless you got anything more to say, it comes down to first, what is your favorite Moss Man? Do you have a favorite Moss Man? Um,
1: I think my favorite, I guess, animation style. I like the revelation Moss man. Cause I, he's not in the show very much, but when he is there, he's the mentor type character. He's wise, he's ancient and he just kind of evokes that cool factor. And he's voiced by Alan Oppenheimer, which is yeah. fantastic. As far as toys go, I think I do like the classics figure the best oh, no. because I think, I think he looks good and I like his little accessories. Like I like the little knife that he has. The little satchel that's made out of vines is really cool. That slings across his shoulder.
0: Boss man is unhappy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but beyond that, I am glad I picked up the Masterverse figure and I like him the more I look at him on my shelf and I'm glad he's there. So I don't, I don't have any complaints, real yeah. complaints against them. I have, you know, dream wants like, yeah, some fucking would be nice, but I agree with you. I think we'd lose some of that detail. So I, don't really have an actual argument against why
0: Moss Man is a, isn't a good figure. So for me, I say anyone who doesn't pick Masters of the Universe, Masterverse Revelation, Moss Man as their favorite Moss Man is flocking crazy. You see what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, be, no, be honest with you, I would say the vintage is my number two. Um, but the Masterverse Moss Man claimed my top spot. I'm just not a fan of the 2000 X or the the classics version. So this That's is my right. Moss Man to beat. And now, I um, think
1: I think the 2000 X was a uh, it was a Toy Fair exclusive, wasn't it? And it was just a re it was just a repaint of beast of the Beastman figure, which was in the show. We, yeah, and in the show he looked completely different in the show he actually has a pretty cool design. Yeah. But he doesn't yeah. he looks nothing like the figure that they eventually came out with cuz that figure yeah, it was just the traditional repaint.
0: I think some fans of 2000X um have even suggested that the Masterverse um Mossman um did a better job capturing capturing the 2000X Mossman than it did the actual 2000X figure. So, yeah, like you like you said, so so I, I I think this one is a hidden gem, um and it doesn't get enough praise even from myself. So, so decision time. Um, Colt, thumbs up, thumbs sideways, or thumbs down for Mossman? Oh, it's a neat, it's an easy thumbs up for Mossman. Yeah, me too, me too. I would definitely recommend it for any collector. So, my friend, are you ready to move to Evil Lynn? Yes. Let's start with our first established question. Does Colt own Evil Lynn? Yes. (laughs) I have Evil Lynn. Okay. It doesn't make him Pisto like Fisto. (laughs) Nope.
1: I will actually, I think I'm going to get ahead of it right now, and I will say that I think Evil Lynn is the best figure of Wave 1. For sure.
0: Wow. Okay. I was actually going to ask that when we are done with wave one. So spoiler alert. But spoiler. Uh, I mean, we hmm. can edit it out and I'll say it again. No, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I don't think anyone's going to be, uh, you know, um, riding because of it. So... Um, so I guess I'll start this one um, again. The, the, I, I love the uh, the window box packaging. I love that you can open it and take the figure out and display it and put it back in. Good as new. I love the artwork of Amon O'Donoghue. You know, on the back, the artwork looks like he's um, uh, she's. I don't know, dealing with planets and seems almost like, I I think this came out before the show came out, the series. I think it did. And I remember, I think, I
1: think I saw it on on Facebook or somewhere where Amon was talking about how, when he was given, you know, the task of doing this artwork that he didn't necessarily know how the show would play out or anything like that. And he was just kind of given general ideas on how to, on how to paint them. I could be wrong on that. Um, but I still well, remember him him mentioning that.
0: Well, considering her look into the universe in part two, um, mm-hmm. this 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 cover art is definitely apropos, even if accidental. So yeah, but amon yeah, sure. a- really does a great job here. And I apologize to Amon. Sometimes I say Iman e- I actually know someone named Iman, e- and I'm uh, I'm gonna always mess this up. Um <laughs> but Regarding, uh, Evelyn here, I am, um, happy with her skin tone. Uh, no, I'm not a fan yellow, of that ye- yellow skin, you know, the
1: jaundiced look.
0: Yes. Yes. I exactly. agree.
1: I have never liked the yellow skin. Yeah. Especially in
0: the vintage. Oof, that was just yeah. too much for me. Um, I believe that, uh, yeah, her skin tone pretty much matches the filmation series. Um, mm-hmm she's a little shorter, um, than that seven inch size. You know, she, I have one over there and, um, yeah, she stands a little, a little shorter, maybe about six and a half inches. If I had to guess, um, you know, I, I did, I did a 10 seconds away to a better figure where I, I showed how evil Lynn, if you pull her head up, Um, a little higher on her neck that she can look so much better. But I also think that's kind of unfair to the figure because if you, if you look at, and I should post her picture up here on our YouTube broadcast. If you look at where her shoulders are compared to her, her chin, she actually has a neck there with her head all the way down. It's just that furry collar straight on. Mm -hmm. looks like covered up. Yeah. It gives the appearance that her shoulders are bigger than they are and that she, she's no neck, but looking at the figure in the box and judging by the, um, where the shoulders rest versus the, the furry collar, she's fine. So, but I think it just creates some sort of optical illusion that her, she has no neck, you know? Yeah. I think the facial sculpture um sculpt is fantastic um she's very pretty she, it's a very pretty face sculpt you know i think Masterverse. versus is going to be controversial but i think Masterverse is kicking classics butts with uh, female faces to be honest i with agree you. i agree
1: opinion. yeah i think you know we, this will be something we talk about more when we get into tila the you know the, the version one tila figure um she has a very nice face sculpt that yeah. I've come to appreciate it more and more. And, and it's the same with people in like, I agree with you, I think they have
0: better face sculpts than their classic counterparts. Yeah, both heads, even her head yeah. with her longer hair, which is, was really surprised. And I guess we'll talk about it more in the episode. But she's got this great, white flowing hair. And it's awesome that a um, a basic are these called basic figures in the wave? Um, yeah, yeah, these aren't deluxe. Yeah, it came with a second head. Actually, other than classic Tila, Tila 2.0, is there any other basic figures that came with an extra head that you can not think the,
1: of? Yeah, not in the Revelation uh, subline.
0: I no, mean, it's all the... the
1: alternate heads with the new Eternia figures, but yeah, only version 2 Tila and Evelyn have alternate head heads packed in. In the basic well, version. in in the, the basic, the, yeah, we do have Grace Gold, but Deluxe.
0: Yeah, we have Deluxe. We have Faker, right? Yeah, Faker. Well, yeah, 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 Faker was a Deluxe. Faker was a Deluxe. That's true. Yeah, yeah, but for yeah, basic, I think, I think right. for basic, what a deal! Because you get a second head, um, you get a wand, and then you get the longer staff. Is this a wand or is this called a scepter? I don't know my magical definitions. Um, and you have four—oh, no, six hands in total. And I love the spellcasting hands. You know? Yeah, yeah, they're very cool. And she's so
1: poseable. Yeah, and- I like her. I like her outfit. I like. I like that she can hold her. I don't know if you can see it on here, but she has the loop on her belt yeah you can see that very good but that you can stash her her wand in and yeah for me that's one of those little things that i always love in action
0: figures is that there's a place to store weapons on the figure mm-hmm. yeah i think that's great too i've actually i don't think i did that with mine but i um i saw people um post that and i'm like oh yeah that's cool and um i just the fact that also she also has her her knapsack purse mm-hmm. handbag. I'm not sure what's that called, but it's um, a satchel. Indiana Jones wears one, <laughs> but <laughs> I, 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 a satchel. There you go. I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to reveal yet what's my favorite figure, but boy, is this one terrific! This one's fantastic, you know, and especially that face sculpt and the eye paint and. Um, What an evil Lynn she she, Yeah, she looks good. I think
1: she's my favorite Evil Lynn figure to date.
0: Ah, so you jumped ahead. Okay. So that's sorry. Sorry. I
1: I keep jumping ahead. I keep jumping
0: ahead. (laughs) That's okay. So evil Lynn is your top, or Masterverse Revelation, Evil Lynn is your top evil figure. Yeah. Um let's see. For me, my favorite Lynn. Um I I think I'm going to agree with you. Um, I I do like the 2000X um, evil in the the figure Uh, classics is cool, too. I actually prefer the classics with her hair, with her short hair. Um, I guess that's the alternate head. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what makes it a little difficult for me is she's not in her normal iconic costume. If she was in her iconic costume, it'd be no contest. This figure, you know, is, is the best, but even in this alternate, um, dare I say new Eternia, (laughs) it's not new Eternia, (laughs) but new Eternia costume. Yeah. It's
1: the, what are they? I think they call it the modern in the art book, the modern costume
0: but new attorney would be fitting
1: i think it would be i think it would be a good look yeah um i I so i so i guess i guess my question to you is we got classic costume Tila recently do you think we'll get a classic costume
0: for evil in how she appears in episode one no because I think we have too many evil Lins We need that are more. I important. think I would agree.
1: Yeah, I agree with yeah. that. We've got the sorceress, the bat sorceress, evil Lynn, and then Godland.
0: Yep, yep. They call her Darklin.
1: Is it? I, I see it both ways. Is it? Yeah. Is it Dark Darklin.
0: Well, on the Powerhouse Animation Studios model sheet, it says Godlin, and interestingly, it doesn't even have a hyphen or space. It just says Godlin, just like just, one oh, word. Yeah. yeah. But um, if you remember at the end of episode nine, spoiler alert, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've seen the series multiple times, but in any case, spoiler alert, when Scarecrow um, raises, oh, excuse me, Scareglow, talk about Batman. Yeah. Uh, um, When Scareglow you know appears with his army he the last mm-hmm. thing i think he says is for darklin and uh and then it goes to credits so he actually
1: says I, 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 see and that's how i always heard it but then i remember and i could be misremembering this wrong but i remember seeing her credited as godlin
0: in the credits wow i am like 99 point sh- certain it said he said darklin like there's no way
1: see, to get and that because no, that's what I thought he said too. But then I saw that in the credits and this is all if I'm remembering, right? I need to go back and actually pay attention to those yeah. things. And I wonder,
0: I guess we could always put subtitles on to see what it actually says. Yeah. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to do that right now on my Netflix app. So someone doesn't oh. have to cor- correct us in our comments. <laughs> we can beat them to <laughs> it. Let's do it. Because we know we're wrong all the time. (laughs) We're always wrong. (laughs) Let's see here. Oh. Okay. So let's go to episodes. I probably don't want to air this because we could get like copyright dinged. Yeah. So let me turn down the volume. And it's at the last second here. And okay, and we'll put on subtitles. Everyone, think of a topic, (laughs) (laughs) mope your topic (laughs) as you wait (laughs) and discuss it among yourselves. Or should we give a topic? Moss Men, flocked or unflocked?
1: There we go. Pine Fresh.
0: here Here we go. For the everlasting power of Darklin. Yep. Ah. Let's see if I can There's show dark this. Dark cool. huh? Um, yeah, there it is. I, I can see it. Yep. Dark Lynn. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know what? Either name is right, you know, or wrong. I like them both. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, I, yeah, I just don't think we'll see that classic costume, even though I would love it because we have, you know, th- those figures I think are more important at this point. I mean, she's hardly, you so know. In- She's hardly in her classic Evilin costume enough to justify that figure over the rest. So because
1: she has in the show, she has four alternate forms, correct? If you don't yep. count the flashback sequences where she's young. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tila only has the three different looks. Yep. So yep. yeah. I can see him doing three you know, three figures for Tila, three figures for Evilin. And yeah, like you said, the the dark Lynn form
0: and her sorceress form are the more important ones. Yep. I agree. All right. So finally, and this is an easy question, is it thumbs up, thumbs sideways, or thumbs down for evil Lynn? Yeah, it's a thumbs up. It's a thumbs up, big thumbs up. Okay. Yeah. So this ends our basic wave one uh, analysis. So next time we're going to move on to the deluxe figures of Wave 1, which is uh, Battle Cat and God. And then you guys are all going to forget what Colt said, and we're going to pick our favorite from the line, or from the wave, excuse me. So, so he's going to do a Jedi mind trick, and you're not going to remember what he said.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Evelyn's going to use her hand casting hand.
0: There we go. This is not the and figure it no
1: loves. Exactly, no one remembers what I said.
0: This is not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> All right, so Colt, are you ready for our in-depth analysis of Masters of the Universe Revelation, Episode Two? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, uh, the the title is Poison Chalice Nova, and. Uh, We're going to go through this chronicologically, and and we're just going to go through this story and stop whenever we want to add commentary of our own. So let me change my little header here on YouTube. There we go. Episode two, Poison Chalice Analysis. So the episode begins with the iconic uh, exploding red lava rocks. And from within the Castle Grayskull jawbridge, we, we leave, the camera leaves, to reveal the title Poisoned Chalice. We cut to a dark cabin, but it's actually a cabin connected to a cave. Uh, double doors open and two cloaked figures enter the cave wearing green masks that look very, very familiar and seem modeled after the classic vintage toy, the road ripper. Mm-hmm. Did you have a road Ripper as a kid? I did not. My cousin uh, had one. So I remember playing with it, but I never personally had one. I did. Those were fun. Um, now there's an article on these masks on foraturnia.com where producer Ted Biaselli was nice enough was awesome enough to note in the comments that um indeed it was a deliberate uh these masks were a deliberate road ripper um easter egg but their earlier mask designs evoked the vintage toy blasterhawk instead but they moved away from that design because their mouths look too much like vacuums. (laughs) (laughs) So they went to the, uh, the road Ripper um, design or inspiration instead. So thank you, Ted for that nugget.
1: Yeah. So for anyone out there on YouTube watching, this is what, this is the, this is the mini's version of that road Ripper toy that we're talking about.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, and they did a really good job, even though it's it's vertical, not horizontal, right? Mm-hmm. The way it... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... yeah.
1: Very cool. I
0: really dig the cloak and masks that we see here. Yeah, it was a great Easter egg. So, And then if one wasn't enough, uh, we were treated to Easter eggs times two. When the scanner held by one of these mysterious figures are the, is the same scanner that man in arms used in the 1987 live-action film Masters of the Universe, starring Duff Lundgren. And he uses it famously to track a cow. <laughs> <laughs> And all farmers would love this device. What a it great a, a yeah, cow it tracker! Would
1: be, it would be it would be handy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> even, even even better a cow manure tracker. Yeah, you know, there, there we step. go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with the scanner, they are searching for something, and uh, one of them a revealed uh, female voice complains about the stench and goes on rifling through a giant pile of garbage as the other one watches. And while something else moves in the garbage, which is picked up by the scanner, the cloaked uh, figure clears more trash, revealing a shiny glove. And just as she pulls it out, Stinkor jumps out from the garbage pile and grabs the cloaked woman's wrists. Yep. Uh how great was it to see Stinkor. I was thrilled to see
1: Stinkor. It was it was fun. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was a cool and it was a cool reveal
0: having hiding in a trash pile. yeah So uh Stinkor tells them to get their soap stinking hands off his merch, <laughs> you dirty mercs. And
1: which is such good alliteration
0: and word <laughs> I just love that line, you know? <laughs> And then uh, Stinkor takes off his uh, mask, his breathing mask um, apparatus, and belches a boatload of toxic green gas. Uh, Tila pulls out her club-like weapon that extends to a staff and spins the gas away. And I'm going to pause right there because as time goes by, this Swiss army knife weapon of Tila's called the bow staff and designed by Andra um, as revealed in the masters of the universe revelation art book um, is really going to become a tool and a weapon that would even make Batman jealous. Yes. And that's a how very, I worked in Batman. Very
1: cool weapon yeah so one thing that that i notice is that there's actually a continuity error between the prequel comic and and the events of revelation because like you said this was a weapon designed by andra but we actually see Tila using it in the prequel comic during her adventures with He-Man at, you know when they're getting into their tussles at snake mountain she's actually using this extendable staff it's designed the same way um,
0: not a big well, deal but interesting that one was slightly different <laughs> was it no it's i don't like- know it's <laughs> throwing it out there that one was um took Duracell batteries not energizers and was designed by a man well, at so, are yeah.
1: there there it is
0: there it is <laughs> continuity but, uh, saved <laughs> <laughs> but uh it really uh suit uh it would really fit well on um on Batman's uh, utility belt, you know, it's, it's, it's something like he would use, but um, it reminds,
1: it reminds me of something that uh, Robin would use.
0: Ah, yeah. Yeah. Good Cause Robin it. was often seen using a bow staff. So uh, next we see Stinkor whacked out through the air from the, um, the swamp town trash cave. Um, another name that we get, we get from the masters of the universe revelation art book and he lands on a pr- uh, produce cart in Swamp Town, and then uh following stink or outside one of the mercenaries removes their mask revealing to be basically a new character known as andra andra mm-hmm. andra andra and um and she asks, and I said, basically, guys, so we know there's a little history with this character, just yeah. slow, uh, but it's new to filmation. It's new to this continuity. And, um, Andre asks if she, if the other mercenary knows this stinker and the other merc corrects her saying stinkor. And saying, you know, he's from her old life. And the other Merc takes off her mask, too, revealing her to be dum-dum-dum Tila with a brand new haircut, triggering hundreds of fans to rage on the Internet that Kevin Smith killed their childhood. (laughs) The haircut that started a war. (laughs) A fan war that and a and a ide- ideological war on YouTube mm-hmm. that um maybe still exists to this day so
1: and funnily enough, this isn't the first haircut that Tila has had in Motu history in filmation we see a flashback of her during her days at the academy, and she has short a shorter haircut. She cuts her hair in the 2000 X series. Well, He Man cuts her hair by throwing his sword, and it slices a bit of her hair off. But then in the uh, 2012 uh, comic series, she changes her hairstyle from blonde to red. It's just. I think it's. I think it's just fun that so much ado was made about Tila's haircut when It's not the first time that
0: she's had yeah it's, you know what uh, it's silly. I'll just get into this quick but you know I actually read into this guys and there's a real psychology behind Tila cutting her hair after a a traumatic event i saw it was removed uh referred to as a not a removal uh, an emotional shedding process and this was mm-hmm. described clinically, by clinic, clinically experienced women, not men, women, that the simple act of cutting their hair uh, means so much after something traumatic occurs. And it's actually common during a, a crisis, any crisis. It's, yeah. it's, it's about immediate change. It's about an immediate uh, reclaiming of control in one's life where previously one felt out of control. You know, it's, it's real psychology guys. And it's a shame that so many fans couldn't grasp that, you know? Yeah.
1: It had a purpose. Yep. Yep. And, you know, it was also, I think in one of the, it was either in this one or the follow-up writer commentary episodes that Kevin Smith did with with each of the writers Where they talk about this and how it was supposed to be a visual indicator of Tila's anger and bitterness towards her past and the events of episode one. Yeah. They wanted, you know, the psychology part that you talked about, but they also wanted an easy way to visually identify with Tila's character arc what she was going through. Which is common in, in animation and, and visual mediums. Like that's a common trick that artists use.
0: And it all makes sense. So, Mm -hmm. and, and be honest with you, you guys can um, mock me, but I really like the haircut. I mean, I I still prefer the longer hair look, but, um, sure. It's not bad. She looks great. Yeah. She looks great. And I have her figure on display here and, um, I think it's a great look for her. I love it. And um, I'm glad they went that route. And um, well, that's enough about her hair. So <laughs> so, so next, uh, Tila and Andra are in what appears to be a house of worship. And it's called the Temple of Globula. And the priestess there reveals what Tila and Andra stole back from Stinkor was the Glove. Globula, a um, a magical glove that first appeared in a Masters of the Universe UK comic magazine um, that depicted that magical artifact apparently um, rivaled the power of Castle Grayskull and uh, was even stolen, I think, by Hordak at one time. So I never read the comic, but there, there's an interesting history behind that glove. And it's also tied to a book as well. And I saw the book actually in the, um, temple as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you look, if you look for it, you'll see it there. It's a, yeah. little, it's a blue, blue I think book. It's bound, yeah. I think it's bound in red. if I remember right. Oh, is it red? I thought it was blue. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to check.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Reddish blue. It's a reddish blue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or is it bluish red? So. Well it depends on
1: the angle. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a red book under blue lighting. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There it is.
2: Moving so, on. <laughs> moving on.
0: <laughs> so um without the glove, um, the priestess said that the fall- uh the followers, um followers. That would be Stinkors group. Uh the followers felt empty and broken. And um Andra says, uh, no glove, no love. And uh, I, I, I got a kick out of that line. So as corny as it is. Um and the priestess also reveals that uh, Stinkor stole the glove to sell it to the highest bidder, and that magical relic sell at a premium now that magic has left Eternia. So Tila tries to convince the priestess that they don't need magic, just tech, and reveals that Andra is actually an uh, engineer but it all falls on deaf ears with the priestess. Yeah. The priestess definitely doesn't look too impressed. No, no. She believes in the old ways. So suddenly an old mysterious woman appears in the temple, seemingly out of thin air and introducing herself as Magestra and offers both Tila and Andra a job. Now at this point colt did you know she was really evelyn yeah <laughs> okay I me mean, too
1: me I too recognize i recognize the voice the voice is it's lena hetty doing an old woman voice but also majestra was a fairly common disguise used that evelyn used in the filmation series
0: yeah yeah and one of the more popular um episodes uh titled the shaping staff um mm-hmm. evelyn pretended to be a uh, traveling magician named magestra now she wasn't an old woman you know she was just a young woman with white hair uh shorter white hair short <laughs> white hair. <laughs> oh, no. um but uh i was like yep this is evelyn so on you know for for diehard uh filmation fans especially yeah this was no surprise but i didn't feel like i was missing anything because of it no but you know
1: and like i guess storytelling tropes she definitely puts off some suspicious vibes just the way she talks and she appears
0: from the shadows and it's all super just a little bit spooky the way she's presented sure Sure, like the hints are there you if you don't know the name of if you don't recognize the voice you still like yeah are squinting saying something's up with her so yeah. so magestra uh offers both ladies a well-paying job of stealing back an artifact to an old goblet from a place that might be a bit of a challenge Uh, Majestra says the goblet isn't magical, just sentimental, and it belonged to a dead friend, her best friend. And she said that she can't bring him back, but would pay any price to hold a tiny piece of him again. And me knowing she's Evil Lynn, and the dead best friend is probably referring to Skeletor, this all doesn't feel completely an act to me that some of these words feel like they have uh, a kernel of truth to them. Yeah, I think the sentiment that she's presenting
1: is genuine and I also think, because the way the camera work happens during that delivery of the line, there's there's a focus on her face but then it also shifts to Tila's face and I think it's doing it's also, you know, referring to Tila herself in a way when it talks right. about, you know, a dead best friend, you know, I think that's purposeful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. So, all right. So we both kind of, um, felt that vibe. Yeah. And, um, so after Magestra, Majest- reveals the goblet is at snake mountain. Tila says, you got a deal. And uh, next we're at Snake Mountain. But wait a minute. We seem to be in the past because we see a classic-looking Tila stuck in a pit before Snake Mountain's entrance. And that's when we realize we're in a flashback. Yeah. And to sidestep a moment, um, everything to this point was still written by Kevin Smith and not the episode's credited writer, um, Dia Mishra, if I'm pronouncing it, Mishra. Dia Mishra, I think it was. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, because originally this portion up to this moment was intended as part of episode one, not two. Stinkor, uh, the glove, all apparently originally was in the first episode's script. Um, Kevin Smith revealed this, um, that episode two was actually supposed to begin with f- the flashback. Mm-hmm. Um, he he revealed that in his commentary video, um, but it was all changed, which I definitely believe was the right choice. Yeah. It's yeah. smart to end episode one where it ended. Definitely. Definitely. Without a doubt. Yeah. It carries more of that emotional impact with it. Mm-hmm. You you wouldn't feel the weight as much if yeah. you know we suddenly jumped to the future. So yeah. So in this flashback, uh, classic Tila is stuck in a net, uh, falling through a trapdoor at Wolfgate, just like we acted out thousands of times as kids with our old vintage Motu figures and our Snake Mountain playset. And uh, I just love that and. Um, it's a fun callback. It is. It is. It is. For anyone at Snake Mountain, they, they immediately know what's going on here and um, they're very familiar with this um, layout. And uh... well, Tila tries to climb out of the pit at Snake Mountain, but the walls are just too darn slippery. But suddenly there's a noise and the tail of Whiplash suddenly falls over the edge. So Tila smiles and scales the tail. And uh, upon climbing out, Tila sees an unconscious whiplash and He Man standing before her. And Tila says, uh, Let's finish this. He Man says, You know, it would be rude not to share. <laughs> <laughs> Corny as ever. And then uh, Whiplash comes to just in time, and they both finish Whiplash off by He Man grabbing Tila by her wrist. And whipping her around till she kicks the scary villain right into the pit, and then uh, He Man and Tila both look at Wolfgate, and He Man says, "I'll go if you go."
1: This is an important line. It's one that's reiterated throughout throughout the series to great effect.
0: Yep. We we don't realize at this moment the importance of this line. Yeah. Yeah, And the importance of them working together with this roundabout kick.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Two right. very important callbacks established in this scene.
0: Yep. Or not callbacks, but themes. Or it will call back to the. It will call back to this moment. Yeah. Yep. So now we go back to present day in the same spot and Andrew, and, uh, Andra and Tila are, um, Standing before uh, Wolfgate, that is much more different than before. Modified it's laser movie. Wolfgate. Yeah, it's got these but, lasers, yeah. and it looked like one of the eyes of Wolfgate was like lit up. Even you yeah, know, kind kinda, of maybe like yeah, yeah. Definitely I don't know. It's
1: different. There's more circuitry at the side. You know, like control panels and stuff like that.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah, there's just uh, numerous technological advancements and um, heavily fortified. And because the gate is so heavily fortified, Tila predicts that no one will find it necessary to watch it and that they can open the trap door, jump in the net below and start digging and tunneling into snake mountain, exploiting it's uh, it's one weakness that it's a mountain. And it's you can dirt. dig, it's dirt, and you can dig through it. And if you guys notice, um, once again, it's Tila's bow staff that has now become a shovel, so very cool, quite an effective weapon. Yep, so, um, so Tila and um, andre bust open event and finally make it into Snake Mountain, but the interior looks much different now than before. It looks um cybernetic, you know. There's all these uh industrial neon fluorescent lights, these these long pipes that I assume have wires in it. You know, I don't know if you made that assumption too, Colt, but you, yeah. you know how yeah. I, I forget, I think there's a word for it, but I, I just but I, I just assume there's a lot of wiring. It's not like you it know it
1: it has more of an industrial look to it. You know, lots more, lots more wiring, lots more vents, things like yeah. that, as opposed to how, you know, snake mountain, we would assume snake mountain to look, you know, yeah. It looks like it's had an upgrade much like Wolfgate outside. There's been
0: some yeah. changes. Has a lot more metal and circuitry, um, yeah. in, in it's hallways. Yep. And, um, and I really appreciate, uh, bear McCreary's uh synthesized score here
1: yeah it's one it's one of the cool i think it's one of my favorite tunes that he does with this soundtrack out of many very good tunes that he does but the motherboard music is pretty good very good
0: it it is wonderful i couldn't pick out my favorite if i tried there's so many favorites you know that the whole darn thing is my favorite but um but it really stood out here you know it sounded like it was a synthesized uh, score you know very electronic and uh it was machine-like and yeah. it, it sounded fitting for a tron movie almost at first or something um or harken me back to like um some of the themes from uh thor ragnarok
1: yeah but kind of that 80s synth vibe to it
0: yep yep or stranger things right And that's how, how it first started out. And then it it like morphed into us the sounds of like a machine factory to me with sounds of springs and gears and sprockets. And it's just evoked a robotic assembly line.
1: And, and it has one other layer to it that I noticed recently is it has a monotonous layer to it, which kind of evokes a, like a chant almost like has that like a monastic chant quality to it as well
0: yeah the um motherboard motherboard yeah i mean apparently that's Bear's secret because i was watching a youtube video um i know i'm taking a left turn here but i was watching a youtube video where um bear and kevin were talking about the theme for um uh, man in arms, and apparently he thought words up for it first. Where it was, man in arms, man in arms. He is so cool. Man oh, nice in song. arms, man in arms. And, <laughs> and I, first, I want to apologize, guys. I cannot sing, and we lost half our viewers. <laughs> I mean, it sounds
1: like you can sing to me.
0: Ah, uh, man. I think
1: uh, I think you know where your calling
0: is. <laughs> well uh thank you thank you putting out my record album next year (laughs) bear you can hit me up if you need me um but yeah he is so cool and um he apparently does that with either a lot of his songs or all of his songs so i'm not surprised that you know we hear you know the motherboard uh, a chant in it's fun because it, it it sounds like what we
1: would do as kids playing with the toys on our living room floor. You know, having you know singing along with the characters that we're playing around with, making up little songs for them.
0: Yeah, yeah, but it seems like and I'll have to watch the video again, but it seemed like it was actually part of the way he would create these songs. Like it was part of the development process. You know, he, he he would just actually sing it first before like writing a single note down. Yeah, it is cool. And then, you know, and once I hear the music, I can't get those words out of my head, even (laughs) though it's never sung. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, the, the music here is just terrific. And, um, to move off a bear. Um, uh, so Tila and Andra. hear someone coming and duck behind metal barrels. And what first appears like a normal man with a shaved head. Wearing a purple and black cloak. Reveals an awful truth. When the. In the face of the man like i guess turns to the mercenaries because i guess he suspects someone is there it turns out to be a part man part machine it's a cyborg yeah he's got a terminator face i wouldn't say quite a terminator face because he's got these green neon i don't know you know, you had to remove the flesh, and this looked like it was built on the flesh. You know, for a Terminator, oh, yeah, 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 but um, but it was certainly wild. And I thought maybe when when I was first watching that, I was like, oh, is that cyborg going to go their way? But no, nope, he just uh, puts his cloaked hood back on, and uh, more arrive. You know, a whole line of disciples, and they they look like a, um, a satan a satanic. Cult from an '80s movie, yeah, you know. And uh, Tila and Andra wait for the role of uh, cultists to pass, then subdues two from behind, stealing their cloaks and ultimately blending in in the back of the line. And again, this is the second time I'm going to make you watch this movie. And again, it's the second time this series evokes um, 1982's um, Conan the Barbarian feature film to me. That starred Arnold Schwarzenegger and James Earl Jones as Thulsa Doom, a cult leader. And they had a, a large, long scene where Conan infiltrates a cult as well. It's a snake cult. And uh, the snake cult of Thulsa Doom. And he sneaks with the cult and gets up into the Mountain of Power. You know, a place where he normally uh, would be killed. Yeah. So um, I was thinking this. Um, I was thinking a little Star Wars, you know, how uh, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo um, dress up like stormtroopers. Mm -hmm. And um, I was thinking even a little of um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yeah, kind of has Uh, that vibe to it. Malaram, Sularam, yeah. Um, So the uh, cultists eventually push into a... Circular like chamber surrounded by neon stripped columns, and it actually reveals itself to be the mouth of the snake on Snake Mountain, which is just so cool. Yeah, I would I would have loved if there was one like outside shot, you know, where you see the mouth of the snake lit up and you know all of these um you know disciples chanting would have been wild. Yeah, would have been cool. Yeah, but it's uh, it, it's, still, it's still awesome. And um, so then we hear a prophet speaking. We don't see him, but we hear him. And he's talking about magic that has um, wreaked havoc over Eternia for way too long. And as the, the cult line keeps moving, Andra catches a glimpse of Whiplash, who is now enhanced with a cybernetic eye. And a wrecking ball-like tail, and he's looking cool. And then, and then, shortly after, a blast attack is noticed too. Then, mm-hmm. then trap jaw, and uh, there is a huge. Um, what is it called? Dais, Dice? dais. Yeah, I think yeah, dais, Dice. Okay, so there's Deus. a huge dice in the um, in the front of this chamber. Uh, with a gigantic statue of Screech, which is apparently their deity, you know, their object of worship. And we hear the voice, still don't see him. We hear the voice of the prophets speaking again that the flesh is weak, uh, but not the machine, and motherboard is forever strong. And then we see a hand holding a chalice, probably the goblet that Tila and Andra are looking for being filled with a strange black reflective liquid. And then the prophet's hand reveals to be belonging to dum-dum-dum Triclops. (laughs) And uh, first, can I say that um, actor Henry Rollins is absolutely brilliant uh doing a fantastic job here delivering these basically delicious lines of dialogue you know oh, so yeah. so juicy you know glory be to who live and diode <laughs> in the mighty <laughs> motherboard i love that live and diode you know yeah. i mean it's so awesome and uh and I really like uh, Triclops' outfit here too. You know the the, the priest look, yeah, yeah the, the priest robe and that that hat. You're right; it evokes to me the the, the hat of um, the Pope in Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and he's also wearing like I don't know—is it a scarf? Is it a sash that is around his neck and just hangs down? Uh, some yeah, some type of vestment of. Yeah, I'm not sure what it's called. Yeah.
1: Which, which is, you know, there. It's very interesting because he's preaching about the horrors of magic, and yet he and his followers are dressed in the raiments of religion and worship, which is often tied to a belief in the supernatural.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. It's not one and the same, though, right? No. Like, um, I think a lot of people, I was born in a very, um, religious household where, um, you know, she thought my mother actually thought, and this is no joke, that, um, stuff like, uh, Harry Potter movies encouraged the teachings of witchcraft. Sure. And, um, there was God and the Holy spirit and all that belief, but that was separate from magic. Magic was, e- Magic was evil, um, the kingdom of heaven, and the path to God was good. And there was a clear deline- delineation between the two. So so I can see it. I can see the connection you're making, but I also, I lived the division between the two. Sure. So, yeah. But um, well, whatever that scarf and sash is, I'm not sure of the technical name, but um, it also featured the symbols of... Um, Triclops eyes, I think. Yeah. Yeah, the and, triangle, uh, the square, and the circle, right? Yep, yep. And I just love it. And over there I have him um displayed in that robe. Yeah. Do you yeah. do you have triclops? I do. Yeah, he's okay. up here up here on the shelf behind me. Now do you have him displayed in his um yep. religious his, get yeah. 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 Okay.
1: Um, I actually so I have i actually have him displayed in his normal classic look and then i found a spare he-man on clearance and i dressed him up with the alternate head and the robe
0: ah that was that that's very um thrifty of you very good (laughs) (laughs) so um I just love the look. I, I, I didn't even think of that. So um, even though I think Triclops is a fantastic figure and I love his um, original look and he still has some green right in that uh-huh. cult costume, like I think yeah. it's in the the Pope hat um, yeah. somewhere in the back or it's not completely yeah, it's escaping. Cool. You could you could find some of his original green. Yeah, it looks like there's a there. little bit of green in there. Yeah. So. uh Cult leader Triclops says you drink from the cup and you will save yourself from carnal chaos. And they have uh, two what looks like, quote unquote, volunteers, you know, what looks to be a father and his daughter. And at least the father looks a little hesitant at first of what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But the father drinks from the cup. And then the body horror begins and screaming and circuits appear in his body. Tentacles burst from his back. I mean, I guess tentacle coils or wires. Yeah, let's just say. Yeah. And um, his eyes or his eye, his one eye, his I guess his right eye, um, his, his pupil becomes red and it pushes out of his head uh, on a coil and a rotary saw blade grows out of his arm. And I love Triclop's response to all this, you know, he watches him transform and all this pain. He doesn't even flinch. He just looks (laughs) and then says, let us pray. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) And so far I'm just loving this stuff. Oh, it's yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. So then, um, Tila decides to be the distraction and Andra goes for the cup. And Tila disrobes and says, um, trap trapjaw and triclops. I thought I smelled dirty motor oil. <laughs> <laughs> and oh man, and I love when Trapjaw responds. Tila, how dare you sully the sanctity of Snake Mountain? Uh, <laughs> Oh, I just love that. I wish there was a voice box on my Triclops figure that I could just push that button. And he says that every time. It's pretty good. It is.
1: Now it's, it's the voice of Diedrich Bader, who yeah. voiced King Randor.
0: Mm-hmm. He did a great job. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wouldn't even recognize the voice in Trapjaw, but I did recognize the voice in King Rain Door. Uh, there yeah. used to be a sitcom on called, I think, American Housewife, and he played the husband. I know he's been in a lot of shows, but that was the most recently. And I, you know, sometimes I would well, hear. To, him. Uh, to
1: tie it back to Batman,
0: he was the voice of Batman in Batman the Brave and the Bold series, there the animated go. series. There you go. There you go. It's, see, it was all planned, guys. It's all connected. Yeah, these. <laughs> well these these um episode titles there's a lot of thought that goes into it yep. so um okay so uh triclops explains to Tila that the defeat of skeletor made them see the error in their ways that the, skeletor, in, the, in, the insipid skeletor uh the insipid refers skeletor. to him which is um, i love it i love that delivery it's it's great lines henry yeah. great job yeah and uh and basically skeletor's um the insipid skeletor, uh, his failure was uh relying on magic because because magic is an empty promise, a false god, a sinner's solution. Um, the true power of Eternia has always been man's mastery of technology. Uh thank you. <laughs> it was <very> uh, good. <laughs> You're too kind, Cole. Uh th- uh <laughs> but Tila's not convinced, and uh and fighty fighty ensues. And uh, Tila takes out disciples with her cool bow staff again, um, which turns into a sword now. We had a sword, a shovel, a staff, um, I don't know, a lot of things. And um but with her bow staff now a sword, uh, she slices the rotary arm saw off their new disciple, the, the father that just transformed. And then Tila battles blast attack, um, and quickly dodges a tail strike from whiplash that sends blast attack into the, uh, the dais and, um, almost triggers his detonation. um, but I guess, yeah, it was uh, Blast Attack the first time around that quickly um, presses his little keypad and gets yep. <laughs> and stops the countdown, you know? And then, uh, and then uh, after Tila knocks out Whiplash, uh, Tila goes to save the girl. But surprise, surprise, the girl's already infected and her and her father almost subdue Tila, unconscious until andra he, he, yeah he rat the the father grabs
1: her from behind but then wraps his tentacle eyeball wire eyeball around her neck and is choking her yeah it's, it's awesome. just horrifying
0: <laughs> it is <laughs> but it is cool horrifying. It, oh it's, it's cool yeah it's very cool yeah. but it's scary at the same time but uh tila um Tila is saved by Andra, you know, who disables the, the father, uh, disciple, with one of her throwing stars. So then Trapjaw attacks Andra. So she shoves the arm Tila severed into his mouth, and Trapjaw chops away until Andra quickly hotwires the rotary saw that springs into Trapjaw's face, and oof! He goes down. Pretty so, intense. So brutal. Yeah, well, has that w-
1: squelching sound too of the saw meeting oh. as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and when I first watched it, I'm like, "Are they going to show it? Are we going to see it?" And they didn't show <laughs> it. And maybe it's better they didn't show it, you know. So yeah. I think there there are still kids watching this. But, yeah, um, for sure. So. More fighty fight occurs. Um, Andra, I've been doing good with Andra and not calling her Andra. I, yeah. by the way, I, I know someone named Andra as well, so nice. this is like, yeah, this is a struggle for me. Both uh, Amon and Andra, Andra gra- uh, grabs the, the goblet, what they're looking for, mm-hmm. and, and grabs Tila's wrist, and they do the move that we saw. In the earlier flashback, where now Tila is the brawn and swinging Andra around like He-Man did with her Mm -hmm. as Andra kicks blast attack into the arms of Whiplash and setting off the countdown to his blast attack. And, and before Blast Attack can stop it, Andra throws a star into his shut-off keypad or whatever it is, solidifying the countdown. Then, boom. So it was nice to see, um, you know, Tila taking the place of He-Man and, yeah. um, and Andra taking the place of Tila and doing that move that, you know, they used mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. And it's kind of a cool little
1: I, I guess the way I interpreted it and read it is that despite Tila's anger and bitterness about what happened in the past with Adam's secret and everything, she still took the lesson she learned with him as He Man to the point where it's almost muscle memory for her, even down to you know, we see later the line comes up again. But her fighting son and stuff like that, it there's a residual memory there you know she's not doing it consciously it's part of who she is
0: and it feels like and it's going to feel like this more but it feels like at this point that andre's filling that gap you know Mm -hmm. that um you know and it's like it's, it's an interesting role reversal as well because she's she's the brawn or she there's two she's Tila's the brawn and Andra's the, the brains now. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so Tila is the one swinging Andra around. And um yeah, it is interesting that that dynamic is repeated here. And, um, and, and I, I think it's also important to know that
1: Andra is kind of representative of how Tila was when she was younger. You know, she was still hopeful and still optimistic about things and, Eager to be a hero. Whereas yeah. Tila now is kind of world weary and kind of definitely more pessimistic than she used to be. And I yeah. think that's the intent of the writing of these characters.
0: Yeah. And I really enjoy that aspect. And yeah, it's, um, it's very cool. Yep. So both Andra and Tila start running for the exit. Andra disables um, Doom Seeker drones. Uh, in pursuit with a couple of her throwing stars. And Andra grabs onto Tila. They jump off a ledge and land safely on the cavern floor, thanks to a grappling hook that shoots out of Tila's fabulous post-staff. Very cool. It's a staff. It's a club. It's a shovel. It's a sword. And now it's a grappling hook. This thing is awesome. Yeah. Um, Andra disables some more uh technical um acolytes with her throwing stars, and then um, well, maybe you can help me um understand what happens next cult. So Tila grabs a throwing star from Andra mm-hmm. and th- throws it into the edge of the nearby swamp water, causing the creature in the swamp water to lurch out and kill all the disciples. Now I didn't see the star cause an explosion. I didn't see the star cause an electric shock. So what stirred the monster here? Just a little splish, a little splash.
1: I think, I think that's what's implied is that any disturbance of this water awakens the beast within
0: Jeez, he's a light sleeper then <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> or maybe he's just very hungry and he's just you know but i i guess i mean with the people like,
0: running outside and yelling and and what you have can you can be more active yeah yeah so i was just curious if i was missing something yeah. or
1: no i don't yeah i don't remember an explosion or anything like that happening it just seems that it reacts immediately to a rock, a little pebble, yeah. In this case, a star, but you know, just plink, plinking into the water.
0: And the way the star—this is not like a rock that will make a big sploosh. This will cut through. You know, it's very yeah. uh, throwing star is very thin, very narrow, Yeah. so it's not going to. And... Yeah, it's not going to make much of a noise. So okay, mm-hmm.
1: so there, there really is I mean, no explanation. So it would be nice. I, I, I think it would have been nice to have a little explosion there because
0: yeah, or a little electric shock right in the water. Yeah, yeah something did. So, yeah yep yeah and and you're gonna see that i i'm gonna be confused a little more as this episode goes on so okay. but um so andra and tila uh escape thanks to the monster or actually andra likes to call her T. yeah you know, hey, T. um which you like and um And there's this great transition, you know, me and the transition uh, cult where um, Triclops is staring and you see his eye and it dissolves into the Temple of Globula's uh, stained glass window. Yeah. And then in that surrounding city of the temple, Magestra appears out of thin air again and uh, poof and pays the two mercenaries for the goblet. And then asks if they're interested in finishing the job. And Tila says, we did. Uh, But Magestra counters, you know, what has been gained must now be given. And uh, offers to pay them double if they help her deliver the goblet to Castle Grayskull. Mm -hmm. And um, Magestra asks Tila, you know, she says, uh, Tell me, Captain, have you ever wondered what you left behind? And uh, Tila says she's done wondering, but Andra pulls Tila aside saying she doesn't trust Majestra. And because of that, someone has to keep her eye on her and she and, and keep an eye on whatever su- suspiciously she's trying to do at Castle Grayskull. Yeah. And... And that even though Tila is out of the hero business, Andra doesn't have to be, and it's her chance to mean something. Mm-hmm. And Tila warns Andra that being a hero can swallow you whole. But Andra says it's a risk that she's willing to take. So after struggling it with internally, you know, struggling mulling it over basically in her head, uh, Tila insists uh, that she will go with Andra. Um, She Mm -hmm. says, I'll go. If you go hearkening back to the bond, he-man and Tila shared in the earlier flashback where uh, Tila, once again, takes on the he-man role now. Yeah. Yeah. And there's more of the same that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. So, so it's that surrogate he-man basically. Um so the scene dissolves uh to an outside barren hall of wisdom, and we hear Tila explain that after He-Man and Skeletor's final battle, uh King Randor declared the hall a forbidden zone, which reminded me of Planet of the Apes, I think that's what they <laughs> called. <laughs> um but basically that they're breaking the law just by being there, and yeah. um But Majestra walks right inside Castle Grayskull without them and approaches an old depleted sorceress standing where the Orb of Power used to be with an ember of magic floating between her hands. And Majestra says the sorceress looks old and acts jealous of the magic she still maintains until Tila calls out Majestra's ruse and says, I think it's time you tell us what you really want. Evil Lynn. Mild shock. Gasp. Gasp. <laughs> but uh, Lena Hetty, as Majestra, does this spectacular, outstanding, maniacal laugh mm-hmm. as she transforms into Evil Lynn and her goblet, Transforms into the head of Skeletor's Havoc Staff. Yep. And Evelyn shoves the Havoc Staff against Sorceress's uh, floating ember. And the Sorceress gasps. And because she gasps, I think Tila thinks Evelyn is hurting her and transforms her bow staff into a spear so it's a staff a club a shovel a sword a grappling hook and now a spear mm-hmm. and throws it at evil Lynn. and just as just as it's about to hit its target cringer jumps out of nowhere and snatches the bow spear out from midair and cringer saved evil Lynn? what <laughs>
1: I think this was more surprising than
0: evil Lynn revealing herself. It was, it was, it was, a, uh, it was a nice surprise too.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: And Cringer says they don't have time for any more fighting and evil. Lynn reveals that she made this journey to actually strengthen the sorceress with the little magic that remained in the havoc staff and Tila, Asks, why would Evil Lynn help the sorceress? And the source, the sorceress reveals, because I asked her to. Yeah. Uh, to save the last ember of true magic in eternia. Uh, sorceress says that their interests are aligned. And personally, look, I I love um to hear this because for me. Some of the coolest episodes in the classic 1983 filmation series, um, episodes like "Evil Seed," uh, "To Save Skeletor," the, "The Witch and the Warrior,", Warrior. yeah, 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 uh, were episodes where the the bad guys had to align with the good guys to defeat a common threat. And I often just found Motu at its creative best when both sides, good and bad, had to work together.
1: So yeah, at this point, you know, and that—that's essentially what Cringer Cringer says in that great line delivery: "says Whether you serve Snake Mountain or Grayskull, you know, we all have to
0: work together now." Yeah. So I I just love where this story, as an entirety, is going. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So the sorceress reveals that if the Ember goes out, the last of Feturnia's magic is gone and tells Evelyn to guard the Ember with her life. So Evelyn absorbs the Ember with her wand or scepter or whatever you call it. And the sorceress transforms back into a regular human woman. Older and frail, mm-hmm. and Cringer catches her from falling and tells Tila they all have to work together now, otherwise, Eternia dies. And uh, you get these voices for free, Colt. Aren't you? <laughs> right? I'm just glad you're doing them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone has to, that's um, right. So Evelyn <laughs> Evelyn explains that uh, to everybody um, that magic gave birth to Eternium. Um, and Eternium is the first planet in all of creation, and it's the nexus of space and time. Now... Cole, um here is where I struggle with a logic issue, and maybe you can help me understand. Okay. Uh, Lynn then says that the sword of power binds the magic. The sword of power binds the magic to Eternia. And now that the sword is gone, the magic is gone with it. And I'm thinking that doesn't quite make sense. And doesn't Lynn mean... The orb of power bound the magic to Eternia, not the sword, but the sword, which is a conduit, could call on the magic and draw it back to reform the orb. Because yeah. there, was, there was a time on Eternia when the power sword did not exist mm-hmm. before the days of King Greyskull, but magic still existed and magic was still bound to Eternia
1: yeah i think it's i think you're right i think this is one of the it's a i don't know if it's an editing thing but it's definitely as it's presented it's a little bit of a plot hole because i can't reconcile this logic and it kind of we don't emphasis on the orb of power doesn't ever really come up again after the orb explosion you know it's all now everything is kind of tied to the power sword itself which is, you know, as you pointed out, the power sword didn't exist until King Grayskull forged it.
0: Yeah, in the prequel comic, uh, King mm-hmm. Grayskull um, opened the pyramid, the encasing of the orb, and was talking to the voices of the the ancients um, mm-hmm. in regards to how he could save his son. And this was before the forging of the power sword.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In in fact, the
1: the desire to to defeat the Orlax is what it, it, that was the catalyst
0: to forge the sword of power. Right, right. So this is where I'm struggling, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the mornings, uh, the morning star, that's a Dungeons and Dragons term, I think, but I'm thinking of the, um, the throwing star and now this line, certain fixes, um, could have easily repaired these gaps in logic. Yeah. Um by just making an electrical shock with that uh throwing star and just the um instead of saying the sort of power. Yeah. just instead of saying the sword of power binds the magic to eternia, just say the orbit power binds the magic yeah. to eternia. But the sword so, is, yeah, like you said, but the sword is needed as a
1: conduit to call the power back.
0: Yeah, which is exactly what happened because um spoiler, when that when he does call the power back, the the orb is reforged or re- reformed, right? That yeah, would be the yeah, term. It, it, yeah, it, it, and it encloses back in its pyramid. So, the the writing is a little iffy here. A little sloppy. And it, a little sloppy. Yeah, in this, sloppy. In this that's that's a fair word. So, yeah. all right. So, um, and it won't be the last time I'm caught on sloppy writing, and we're towards the end of the episode. So. Uh, Lin says, without magic, Eternia will rot and die like an unwatered houseplant. And when Eternia dies, the rest of the universe will follow. The Sorceress tells Tila the only way to bring magic back is to call on the power of Grayskull. Exactly what we were saying. And to do that, they'll need to reform the Power Sword, which was divided into two halves during the blast. Lynn explains that legend has it, the sword of power was made of two ancient blades of steel, one forged in the hall of heroes in Praeturnia, the other forged in Subturnia, the land of the dead, Uh, which apparently um, both swords returned to the realms they were created in after they split, after they absorbed the orb of power. Mm -hmm. Which is fine. So Sorcerer then tells Tila she must find the two halves and reforge the sword of power using the amber. Tila rejects the quest, saying she built a life away from magic. And now they want her to save magic? Uh, Sorcerer seems to begin to tell Tila about her um, magical lineage. But Tila cuts her off, something that won't frequently happen in this series. If Tila would just let people finish their (laughs) thoughts. Let her finish her sentence, man.
1: (laughs) Uh, But it's that classic Tila hot-headed personality.
0: And I think we learn also later on that Tila knows, but she just doesn't want to hear it. Right. She, she kind of knows it in her soul and her body. She, yeah. Feels I it. think, I think she
1: has an inkling of, of something else about, you know, she might not know the particulars, but she knows there's something about her.
0: Right. She knows there's a secret within her. She can feel it. She doesn't know exactly what it is. And uh, she fears it. Yeah. I think Scareglow brings that out of her a little too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's um, kind of her, I mean, we'll talk about that later, but that's kind of her big moment of,
0: starting to understand the bigger picture. Yep. Yep. So, um, so Tila stares at the spot that Adam died and suddenly she gets angry and she leaves saying, um, let this crumbling castle keep its dead and let all the selfish secrets die with them. Brutal line. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Heartbreaking. (laughs) So she storms off, but, uh, Cringer stops Tila and reminds her that she named him Cringer because he was always afraid. And because of that, he can recognize in Tila that although she's hiding it, she's afraid too. She's not angry. He tells her she's scared, scared that Adam trusted her with all of this. And she's scared that she's going to let Adam down. Uh, Tila says it turned out she barely knew Adam, but Cringer knew who he really was. And Cringer counters, so did you. He was really your best friend. So Cringer then asks Tila, do you think Adam would have made the sacrifice he did if he didn't know you'd be here to protect Eternia when he was gone? And this is where I get lost again in this episode. The logic of this statement. Do you think Adam would have made the sacrifice he did if he didn't know you'd be here to protect Eternia when he was gone? Ah, yes, he would. Uh, Yes, Adam would have made that sacrifice to save Eternia if Tila was there or not. If Tila wasn't alive, Adam wouldn't have absorbed the blasts and save Eternia? Of course he would. So I don't get... Quite what Cringer is saying here. You know, we learned later on Preturnia that Adam had no idea in advance of the magic problem that would occur on Eternia Mm -hmm. that they would be experiencing years later. So it can't be Adam would let Eternia die without Tila there to save it because he knew Eternia would die years later anyway when the last of the magic drained away. So again, it's another statement I couldn't balance logically. I don't know if you have anything that you could clear that up for. <laughs> I think it, I think it's one of those moments where
1: the logic is lacking as you pointed out, but I think the heart of what's of the moment is what's more important in this instance, but it all comes down to, like we've said before, it's a little bit sloppy, sloppy. Yeah. you know, and I don't think it's necessarily a nail in the coffin of why episode two is a bad episode. I'm not saying it's a bad episode, but it's just, I think to me, it's one of the, one of the messier episodes as far as the writing goes, you know, cause there's a lot of supposition that we have to make as the viewer to get to the intended point of what they're
0: trying to do. I agree. And I don't see, you know, I, the, the episode has been great and I've enjoyed so much of it so far but I feel like the, the, the record starts skipping at the end and I keep getting caught up and I get caught on a line and then the other lines are said, I'm like, wait, wait, what, what, you know, that, that didn't make sense. And it does feel sloppy. And I, um, I love the writing that she did here. And um, there's just a couple things that just needed to be polished up. And, and, and we're not talking big fixes. We're not talking paragraphs of dialogue. We're just no. like changing a sentence you know and it it also tripped me up one more time um probably the last time but um it's when uh it's what something Cringer said again that i had a problem with um so Cringer then tells tila i may have known adams big secret sure but tila you knew his heart and i wish that was rewritten That line, you know, but Tila, you had his heart because quite frankly, Cringer knew Adam's heart too, just Mm -hmm. like his other close friends did. Arguably, Orko, man in arms, Cringer may have known what's inside Adam's heart more than Tila because they knew Adam wasn't this lazy, spoiled prince. Um, but, but, Adam allowed his, himself to be perceived this awful way to protect everyone, to be selfless, to be the selfless, noble he-man. So I watched this episode and I wish Cringer said, you know, I held this secret, sure. But you held this heart, insinuating, insinuating love, right? Yeah. yeah. That, that I can process better. And not continually hung up every time i watch this episode because they knew his heart too cringer knew his heart you know i knew adam's secret but you knew his heart guess what you guys knew it too maybe even more than tila because adam let you in further Mm -hmm. so i just wish they said you had you know uh, i knew his secret you had his heart you know and i think just that one change of a word suddenly doesn't trip me up and logically just makes sense and i'm loving it so yeah i i, I think what
1: what the problem is here is i can appreciate what they're trying to do and they're what it, what what it is that they're trying to do is they're trying to establish that there's this there's a that there's a bond between tila and adam yes that has been a part of who they are and it's been a part of their relationship for as long as they've been together when adam was alive right and that even though she didn't know he was he-man there was still this closer connection to where maybe Tila sensed more similar to how she senses more about herself and her actual destiny that she senses that there's more to Adam than he lets on because she knows him. You know what I'm saying? I think that's what they're they're trying to do. It just doesn't quite land as well as it could have.
0: Right. Yeah. If you look at the logic where Cringer says, I knew his secret, you knew his heart versus I knew his secret. You had his heart it this the second half just makes more sense because we all know yeah. Cring, cringer knew his heart as well we, he knew what Whereas, a good person you know he, he yeah he, and he knew more the sacrifice you know they're yeah they're
1: laying these early threads that there's a a, a bond between tila and, and adam and yeah it's a love bond as you know as the series continues on that's where it eventually leads to but yeah and i don't this idea that that you know, people who are close, they know what each other is capable of and what what their I can't the word the words escaping on me what, what their capacity to be is they know that about each other. You know, and whether it's defined or spoken out loud or or something like that, people who are close that share a close bond know each other on a deeper level, and and that's the point that they're trying to put across the dialogue is just a little bit sloppy for me and the logic doesn't add up like you're yeah. like you're saying. So I, like I said before, I can appreciate what they're doing and I still feel the emotional beat that they're aiming for, but I think I would have felt it a little bit stronger had the logic been there and had the writing just been a little bit cleaner and tighter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll wrap that part with a bow in a minute. Let's finish out the episode. So, um, Tila is won over by Cringer's heartfelt uh, talk and says, good kitty. And will take on the quest to reforge the sword. And Andre is all in, you know, excitedly saying, you know, race you to hell, you know. And I I love her enthusiasm here, you know. And Tiffany Smith does a great job. Yeah. Um, Evelyn joins the fellowship saying there's no chance she'll let the children steal all the glory, you know. Um, then Tila says they're going to need one more person. You know, the only weapon master on the entire planet with the skills to reforge the sword of power. Then we cut to a man standing in front of a small hut, gazing out into the night sky. He puts on a cloak and a hood, turns to the camera, and it's Duncan cut to black. So there we go, the poison chalice. Now, I, I, don't, I. Hopefully, I didn't sound like I was nitpicking, guys. Um, this is really the only episode that starts to trip me up, but I still enjoyed this episode. But it does stand as my least favorite episode of the series. Um, I love the ideas poison chalice introduces, Andra, the technical. Ugh. The good guys and the bad guys teaming up but overall uh it's the least favorite um of mine for the logical hiccups that i find the logic hiccups right and it's in my nature personally to unfortunately i just get stuck on those sometimes especially after repeat viewings you know you might miss it the first time but the second time you go wait what but even with all that i just won and to say, I still very much enjoy this episode. You know, it's like me loving donuts and you hand me an assortment of flavors and I point out my least favorite donut, but I still love them all because they're all donuts and poison chalice is a donut to me, (laughs) (laughs) which is a good thing because I love donuts. (laughs) So how do you feel about uh, Poison Chalice there? Um, I agree with you
1: that this is my least favorite episode of the series. Um, you know, it's my least favorite for a few reasons. I don't like grumpy Tila, but I understand that that's part of who she is right now, and that's part of her character arc, right? But it's still hard to see a character that, that we love in such a bitter state as she is. Um, but yeah, just like you said it it has some cool ideas with the techno cult of triclops and trap jaw and motherboard i I love all of that, but then the explanations of what's happening to eternia because of the power sword and the magic leaving it's a little bit sloppy um,
0: Cole, did, you get, where, did you did you get ahead. hung up on that stuff too?
1: yeah, okay I, yeah. I didn't know it, if it was it just seemed, you know it seemed like sloppy exposition okay when Yeah, you know, and then I think I think the reason the main reason why it's my least favorite episode is because the big moment that is supposed to be a hopeful, solidifying moment for Tila and ultimately for Adam, you know, this is the first big, you know, moment where it starts hinting at what they mean to each other. And it
2: it's okay it's not as good they kind of
1: fumble it a little bit in my opinion and so it just doesn't ring as powerfully as it could for such an important moment in my opinion so you know that's yeah yeah i don't hate it i can see what they're trying to do i can appreciate what they're trying to do it's just a little bit sloppy
0: lucky for me at least is it just keeps getting better with each episode you know and um and then at some point i think in in part two or season two to some people it's just a high crescendo you know and suddenly it's like all you know at at some point they're all on top of a mountain peak to me and um, uh I'm just loving them all. But this this first half, as we're building up, it, for me, it just progressively gets better and better mm-hmm. and better and more wonderful and more touching and um more impactful. And um and it's great. It's a great series. So yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we both uh really enjoyed Poison Chalice, but sure. um but recognize it does have some issues. Mm-hmm. Um that uh, fortunately don't appear as much as the story continues. So, well. all right. So, Colt, do you have anything else to add about the poison chalice, or anything else we discussed today, sir?
1: You know, I don't. I don't think I do. I think I'm glad we're through talking about episode two, just because it is my least favorite, and now I'm excited more to talk about. Episodes that I enjoy more than this one, but I do want to clarify I don't hate this episode, I don't think it's a terrible episode, just like we've already stated. You know, yeah. that's how we feel, and that's okay.
0: Yep, I was happy to see Stinkor, Jeez. me too. Yep, all right. Um, so I that... do want uh, sorry, sorry, I will no,
1: say no go. I, what I will say, one thing I really like about this episode is I like how it portrays cringer as kind of a protector to the sorceress in her weakened state i think that's a really touching thing that we see throughout the series as it goes on that cringer stays by her side
0: yeah and and this is not the first time we see cringer using his body to stop someone from falling
1: no no No. it's a very nice touch how he positions himself to catch people when they need his help
0: yeah it's really cool. spoiler he does it with adam and it really to to really great effect
1: so very a very cool
0: way yeah so all right i guess it's i guess that's a wrap so we want to thank everyone for listening or watching Mm -hmm. and um wherever you enjoy this podcast youtube Amazon, Podbean, Spotify. Please hit that subscribe button, guys and gals. Uh, Give us a like and uh, leave us a comment. We love the feedback. So please keep it coming. You know, tell us what we're doing right. You could tell us what we're doing wrong. Um, Just be nice. And uh, we just enjoy the feedback. We enjoy the response. And um, if you have any ideas, um, please share those too, you know? And, um, you know, if, if they sound good to us, we'd, we'd love to implement them. And um, Definitely. And, uh, oh, Colt, you're yawning, buddy. <laughs> you're tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to keep it under wraps. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is making him sleepy, guys so we better call it somebody somebody slipped
1: a sedative into my drink they poisoned my chalice
0: (laughs) (laughs) there we go it's all connected it must have been uh scarecrow not scareglow. that's right right. Um, So, uh, yeah, definitely leave us comments, guys. We love the feedback. And um, also remember, for all our news and latest content, uh, visit us at turnia.com where you can find links to our social media pages like Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. And you can contact the podcast via email at turnia at gmail.com. So from me and Colt, thanks again for listening and let the power return and we'll see you next time goodbye